So this morning, as we've been talking, I've already been thinking some about um, when we come to church, the mix that we get. As Christians, the mix that we have of joy, that today is the week of joy and the season of Advent. And at the same time, as already we've been talking about the difficult things that are happening in this world, things that are happening in Connecticut, things happening in our own lives. It's a struggle for us. How do we hold the two together? How do we celebrate at the same time that we mourn? Well, as we've been reading, this reading came from Zephaniah. How many of you even remember Zephaniah? <laughs> it's this tiny little book, uh, this, one of the minor prophets. It's only three chapters long. And Zephaniah spoke during the reign of Josiah. It's during a time, as most people think, it was probably before uh, Josiah had his reform, before he found the book in the temple, and things began to improve. But still, it's, Josiah was a good king. But it was also at the same time that the northern kingdom had already been destroyed by Assyria. But Assyria was already on its way down. Its empire had begun to decline, and this new empire called Babylon had begun to rise, had become more powerful and more powerful. And so here you have Zephaniah speaking in the mix of these two times. The good part is that Josiah is king and that reform would come and Israel would return to faith. But also it was difficult because Babylon was rising in power as well. Yet he still spoke these powerful words. God still spoke through him. As you read Zephaniah, and hopefully you will this week, you see there's a lot of stuff here. So uh, Zephaniah speaks of the coming day of the Lord. And he speaks of this coming day and he names countries that will be judged, countries like Philistia or Moab, countries like uh, Cush. But also he names Jerusalem in this as well. The Israel will also receive judgment because they were complacent and corrupt. But despite all of these things, at the end, the part that you just heard, you see here these words of hope, these words of joy. That despite the struggles we face, there is still joy. God still speaks hope. So we pick Zephaniah up at chapter 3, verse 14. And he says, rejoice, you people. Rejoice because of what God has done. Rejoice. And I hear this for us in this church, for us to rejoice too. For we rejoice that these words in one sense have been fulfilled in Christ. Now it's true we look forward to them be filled in another sense as well, but they have been fulfilled in Christ. The fact that he has come and the things that Jesus has done things that he has done to save us, to change the world, to change our lives. See, Jesus came, and we have an opportunity to rejoice because of what he's done on the cross. Because he has, as Zephaniah said, he has removed God's judgment. You see, on the cross, Jesus removed the barriers between us and God. See, God is holy. And we know this for a fact. We are not so holy. We struggle with sinfulness. We struggle as we hear what God would have us do and yet we still want to do it our own way. Or we struggle because we know how we're supposed to treat each other and yet we still get it wrong sometimes. So there's this barrier between us and God. And yet God said that he would remove that. He would remove that judgment. So we are reconciled to God, but also the fact that Jesus took our place. It's as if Jesus stood in our place for us and took the punishment that we deserved as humanity, as people. I think of Isaiah, and it says, by his wounds we have been healed. Christ stood in our place. For all the times that we refuse to follow God, for all the times that we insist on doing it our own way because it's more comfortable for us, 
because it's easier for us. Jesus stood in our place. For all the times when we do things to even our friends, to our spouses, the things we say, the things that we do, the corners that we cut, Jesus stands in our place. It's interesting, as I was working on this sermon this week, I was imagining often, as I think of this particular part of what Christ has done, I think of a trial. And I imagine us, imagine for a moment, us standing before the judge. He starts looking over our rap sheet, the long list of things that we've done, the things that we regret, things that we wish we could go back and change because we know they were wrong. The judge looks over all these things. He says, this behavior, this stuff that's listed here, this rap sheet, this stuff isn't consistent with the kingdom that I represent. And the judgment's final. He slams down the gavel. But here's the amazing thing. Then the judge stands up, takes off his robe, walks down from the steps, and comes and stands in our place and says, it is finished. You've been set free. I've redeemed you. Christ stands in our place. And that gives us reason to rejoice. Gives us reason to celebrate because we have been forgiven. God has forgiven us. Now, I'm not talking about cheap grace here. Sometimes people get the idea that God has given us grace, and what they're really saying is they think that God has given us liberty, or God has given us license to do whatever we want, and all we have to do is just say sorry at the end of it, and he forgives that. God has not given us license. He has given us grace. Grace is marked by this. It's marked by repentance. Asking God for forgiveness. See, in Greek, this word is called metanoia. But you don't have to worry about that. But it's this idea of walking one direction and turning around and returning to God. Metanoia. Repentance. Returning to God. See, that's different than license. License is continuing on our way, realizing that we've done something wrong, or knowing all along and just saying, well, forgive me, God, and keeping right on our way. That's license. That's not what God is talking about. But repentance. See, sometimes people, they take God for granted. They take grace for granted. Thinking, I can just go on doing what I want to do as long as I keep saying the words, forgive me, and I can just keep doing what I want to. God says, no, repent. Turn from the direction you're headed and follow me. And in that, I will be patient. Because we get it wrong. <laughs> if you're anything like me, we get it wrong. We, we turn and we follow God only to find ourselves again going our own way, to turn back and follow God. God is patient with this. This is genuine. This is not taking for grant, God for granted or grace for granted. This is the struggle of being human. God is patient with that. He is gracious with that. But we never take license. We never take grace for granted. So it's interesting as I think about this, as us taking grace for granted. And I start to think about what that day will be like when we stand before Jesus. Because we will all stand before Christ. 
And see, I think some people think about it. They think salvation is just, I just want to get into heaven. I don't care what happens after that. I just want to be in heaven. And I believe that, and, speaks, and it's biblical, that one day we will all stand before Christ. And even though God has been gracious and he has saved us by his grace and through our repentance, even though he saved us, we will stand in front of him. And I think there will be things that we've done when we look him in the eye that we'll regret. Things that I, I mean, I think about already. I can already feel things that I wish I would have done differently in my youth because if I know now what Christ has done for me. Those things don't hold me down anymore. I know that God has forgiven me. And I don't feel so much guilt for them, just regret, because I knew the pain they caused. See, I, think, I don't know if people think about that, that one day we'll all stand before Christ, give an account for our lives. And it's true, we won't be in hell, but that moment, it might feel like hell, as we stand and give an account of our lives. So I'm not talking about cheap grace here, where we just do our thing and, and say God blesses that. I'm talking about genuine faith as marked by repentance, by turning from the way we were living and following Jesus. So we have a reason to rejoice for this, that God has given us this opportunity. We aren't just stuck and, and hopeless in our sin, but God has saved us. He's done this through the cross, but he's done other things in the cross as well. In the cross, Jesus has defeated death. God has defeated death and its hold on us. Death is the last enemy that all of us face, that every, face every person here. We will face death. People in our community, we all face death. It is the enemy. It is a thing that people are terrified of. And yet in Christ, it's not the end for us. It's the doorway to life in its truest sense. Death is not the end. In a sense, it is just the beginning of our eternity with God. So Christ has defeated death on the cross. But he's also done great things in the fact that he has risen again. I was thinking about it this week that we celebrate this time of year, we call it Advent, which Advent is the Latin word for coming, or he has come. So we celebrate the reality that Jesus has come and that he is coming again. But I was thinking about it, that often we think about this time in terms of Christmas. We, we praise God for the incarnation. The fact that God took on flesh and dwelled among us. We call it Emmanuel, which means God with us. We celebrate this idea. But you know, I was realizing this week that also we celebrate the fact that God's Spirit is with us. Even though Christ lived among us and then ascended into heaven at God's right hand, His Spirit dwells in each of us. Dwells in the heart of every one of us who who trusted our lives to Jesus. So God is not just off somewhere far away, but His Spirit is in us, guiding us, refreshing us in faith. This is reason for us to celebrate. Reason for us to rejoice. Not just in who God is, but the amazing things that he has done. The amazing things that Jesus has done. But here's the amazing thing. As much as we rejoice, I was realizing that in this text, God rejoices in us. I don't know if you caught it, but God rejoices in us. The creator of everything the creator of universes and galaxies, that God rejoices in us. He rejoices in you. God rejoices in you. I expect for some of you that's hard to hear. It's hard to accept that, that anybody rejoices in you. 
Some of you probably come from pretty hard places. You've had people that mean a lot to you. Parents, spouse, children, close friends. Who always seem to be saying to you that you're not worth it. Or that you're not wanted. That you're not loved. That their acceptance of you is conditional. Based on how well you follow their conditions. How well you fulfill things. So when you hear about God and His grace and His unconditional love, it's hard to accept it. Maybe mentally you can do it. You can say, yeah, yeah, I know. Theologically, I get it. God forgives us. I totally get it. And then you go and try and earn your faith. You go and try and prove yourself that you're worthy to God. And you get on the the hamster wheel, running faster and faster and faster, trying to prove, see God, I'm worth it. See God, I'm worth it. See, I was realizing this week, as I was reading this text, that God loves you like crazy. He has this steadfast, never-ending, always and forever love for you. You are his children whom he loves. In you he is so pleased. Let that sink in for a moment. God loves you. Don't deflect that. Don't route that just to your brain. Yes, I agree with that, pa- with that fact, Pastor. Let that sink in. That God loves you. That you are his child. That when you believe into Christ, you enter into a whole new relationship with him. No longer are you unloved. No longer are you unworthy or unwanted. In Christ, all of that changes. In Christ, you are wanted. In Christ, you are loved. In Jesus Christ, you are worthy. You don't believe me? Look at the extent, look at the extreme that God has gone to to reconcile you, to make things right between you and him. Jesus came to earth. God the Son took on human form. God was, he was powerful at the right hand of God and he emptied himself of all that and came to dwell among us to live in the muck and the mire of our brokenness to save us. And if that weren't enough, he went to the cross suffering all sorts of things along the way and he died for our sake and then he rose again that we might have life with him. God has gone to this extreme to save you because of how deeply he loves you. See, I hear this text from Zephaniah and I realize how much God rejoices in us. He says he sings. God says that he sings his joy over his people. God sings joy over you. Imagine that. Now, I suspect for some of you it might be difficult. Maybe your father was a hard man. Maybe your father didn't sing at all let alone over you. But this God does. Our Father in heaven sings joyfully over you. As I was preparing this week, I was thinking of the fact that, I was reminded that I pray, or actually I sing over my sons each night. Corbin and Shalem, when we put them to sleep, I sing over them. I sing songs because I rejoice in them. I've been singing enough with them now that they sing too. 
these songs about Christ and his love for us. It's my joy as a father to sing over them. And you know what? At the end of every day, I still sing. Regardless of how many times they've hit each other or cut corners with each other or yelled and screamed at each other, I still sing over them. Regardless of how many times they've gone against what I've told them to do because I want them to grow to be men of character, men of faith, Regardless of how many times I've, I've tried to direct them that way and they've said, no, Dad, we're doing it our own way, I still sing over them. I still sing over them because of my joy in them. I started realizing there's connections with the way that God sings over us. Despite the way we treat each other. Despite the way we lose it with our family or with our friends. Ways that we cut corners when we know we shouldn't. Despite the times when we refuse to do it God's way because our way feels more comfortable or we think our way is smarter, regardless of all this, God still sings over us, still sings joy. So it's, we think about this Sunday and we think about joy and we often think about our joy for what God has done, but it's also great to hear in this text that God rejoices over us, that God sings over us. but it gets better. <laughs> it gets better than that even. Even though God rejoices over that, this joy is backed up by promises. Promises that God has been fulfilling to his people for thousands of years. And ultimately a promise that God will fulfill one day completely. So I don't know if you caught this part here. It's at the very end. It's sort of subtle. and uh, you know, We just heard it once, but as I was pouring over this text this week, I noticed that From verses 15 to 17, God is speaking through Zephaniah, but he's talking back about God. He's saying, God will remove those who oppress you. God will rejoice over you. He will. He will quiet your heart. He will sing over you. He will. He will. Zephaniah is talking about God, but at verse 18, it shifts. And if you're looking at the text, you see God begins to speak. I will. I will remove those who oppress you. I will. I will take those, I will will rescue those who are lame. I will gather those who are scattered. I will give you hope. I will give you praise and honor. God makes these promises to us. Now, these things can be hard for us to swallow. I mean, we want this truth. We want these promises. We want them like, it's, we want them in our bones. We want them so bad. But we look at our world. We look at our lives. I know some of you, it feels like your life has gone off the rails lately. Things are hard. And you don't understand why. Things were great for a while. Now things are hard and, and it's difficult. I know some of you are here and this is your first Christmas without your wife or your husband. Or maybe you've been a few Christmases now without your spouse and it's not getting any easier. Christmas is a hard time of year. I know we talk about joy and so many people are celebrating and going to to dinners and parties and it's still hard. Kind of like Zephaniah in his day. There's good and there's difficult. 
This world doesn't work the way that it was supposed to. We know this. We sense that at a level sometimes we can't even explain, but we know this world doesn't work the way that it was supposed to. And our hearts grow weary. Our hearts grow weary from the brokenness in our lives, from the brokenness in the world that we see. This Friday, as actually I was talking with, I was calling Charlene, I, and she was the one who told me what happened in Connecticut. 20 children, five to six years old, killed. Their teachers killed. Tracy told me a story of one teacher who, who hid all of her children in, cla- in cabinets and closets in her classroom. When that young man came looking for the children to kill them, she told them they had already gone to the gym, and he shot her and left, and the children were safe. Things like this that break our heart. Right here, a few weeks before, actually nine days before Christmas. No doubt they are gifts wrapped for some of these people that will never be opened. Places at tables that will not be filled. We look at this world and we realize this does not work the way it's supposed to. This world is broken. So at one moment we rejoice that Christ has come, at another moment our hearts break because things are not the way they're supposed to be. And in this I still hear the words of God. I will remove the sorrow of your appointed feast because they are a burden and reproach to you. I will remove those who oppress you, the things and the people who oppress you. I will rescue those who limp. I will gather those who are scattered. I will give you praise and honor in all the places where you are put to shame. At that time, I will gather you. At that time, I will bring you home. And I will give you praise and honor among all the people of the earth. This morning, I pray that you hear God speaking to you again. I pray that you rejoice, that you feel joy for what God is doing for the fact that Christ has come and he's removed all the barriers between us and God. That he has removed the enemy of death and that he is, amidst, he is in our midst. He's actually in us. I pray that you hear this and you rejoice, but also you realize that God is rejoicing in you. That God is singing over you this moment. He loves you like crazy. And I pray that you hear these promises of God. As difficult as it might be, as hard as it might be in the situation of our life or the things happening around us, that you hear these words again, that I will give you honor and praise in all the places where you are put to shame. At that time, I will gather you. At that time, I will bring you home and give you praise and honor among all the peoples of the earth. Amen.